Welcome back to the Messy City Podcast. This is Kevin Klinkenberg. Today I've got a uh, special guest, Clay Chapman, uh, joining us uh, from uh, Oklahoma. Uh, Clay is somebody I've known a little while, and uh, I always say he uh, he's the guy at whatever uh, whatever conference or anything that he's presenting at, he's the one that everybody wants to talk to the most because these of these incredible um, brick buildings that that he's building. Clay, uh, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thank you for having me, Kevin. It's a, it's a joy to be here with you. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I think uh, for for anybody that doesn't know Clay, so your uh, your company is uh, Hope for Architecture. Is is that the name the moniker you're still using? Well, Hope for Architecture is more the uh, building initiative that we huh. um, banner under, and um, I, I'm, my business aim I operate as artisan trades. So that's pretty inconsequential. Okay. Cause I also know that like on some social media, you use a moniker of thousand year house. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a, a little more specific to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, I wouldn't want to call myself hope for architecture. <laughs> I might call you hope for architecture. I don't know about that, <laughs> but I do, but you, there still is like a website and some other stuff that says hope for architecture, right? Right. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. And that, and that features uh, some of the work that you all have done over the years. Yeah. Right. So Clay, I, I, I'm really uh, interested to do this because one of the things I really don't know, we've, we've talked about your buildings quite a bit and we'll get into, we'll get into that. But one of the things I don't really know much about is how you came into doing this kind of work. Um, wonder if you would talk a little bit about what led you into, um, this world of designing and building, uh, the houses that you're doing today. Where, did you come at this from a, design background originally or from a trades background or, or something else entirely? Well, um, there's not a short answer, but my background's in fine arts and I was going to school studying fine arts and, um, it, it was pretty expensive and just kind of out of necessity, I started a small business, um, while I was going to school, you know, during my summer break, uh, building, um, like hay barns and run-in sheds for equestrian related stuff, you know, hmm. and it was just roughs on yellow pine. I'm from the South, you know, grew up in Georgia and we had a lot of horses around us. So, uh, but anyway, I, uh, just started building these sort of very common ag buildings, old school roughs on, you know, and, um, that was the way I, I got myself through school. Mm -hmm. hmm. And, uh, yeah, I would just come home summer after summer and put a little ad in our local paper. And, uh, and it was able to, I, I tried hanging steel for a summer. If I saved every penny, you know, I wasn't going to have enough to go to school. And this was sort of a, a desperate attempt. I, the first time I did it, I, you know, I called the, the local newspaper and for like a, three by four ad, it was going to cost $35. And I was like, just really weighing it, you know, <laughs> whether or not I wanted to risk this $35. And I'm glad I did. I got my first contract job from that and mm -hmm. we were off and running. Okay. So then you, you started doing that during college and then, and then, uh, with a pursuing a fine arts degree, what, what came of all that, uh, after, after the end of college? 
Well, you know, I'm mid midway through college realizing oh, I'm going to build, be a builder. It was very clear to me that I was going to be a builder, even though I was studying fine arts, but I wanted to get my degree and finish what I'd started there. So, um, I switched, uh, majors to, um, our ed K through 12 and got a teaching certificate with the plan to, you know, get, get the degree and have something to fall back on kind of a safety net, you know, but I've never used it yet. Uh, I just started building straight out of college and kind of traveled Southeast for a number of years, building carpentry based buildings. Mm -hmm. And that became more and more, um, involved, you know, it's, with each project I got more, um, intricate until, you know, eventually we're building you know, European style horse stables mm -hmm. almost, you know, and, but the horses were really hard on these carpentry based buildings and I would come back and this is very interesting. I, I would come back a couple of years after having, you know, really poured my soul into building these, you know, this wooden building for a horse. And it was as if 20 years had passed, you know, because the horse, you got this 1200 pound animal that's sweating and kicking and biting yeah. and, and it's a horse is like a time machine for a building. Right. And, um, it just really, it really impressed upon me what the fate of my buildings were regardless of a horse it's, it's going to look like this in, in fairly soon, you know? Mm -hmm. So it made me very, very sensitive to time and attrition in buildings. And I got to the point where I was like, I just, I, I really said, I'm just going to build it out of solid brick. I'd never heard of structural masonry, Kevin. I, I had no idea this was the paragon medium of architecture, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it, as far as I was concerned, I was discovering a, a, a way to build, but I, I really landed on this as, as an attempt to show the horses, all right, <laughs> bite on this, kick this, <laughs> So. Yeah. So was there a, a first structure then that was like a stables that you tried, uh, doing out of, out of brick then was, yeah. In, uh, in West Tennessee, uh, a little town called Henderson, Tennessee, just South of Jackson, kind of in between Nashville and Memphis, I built Strickland stable and, um, it, it was our first attempt at it. I, I, I didn't know how to lay brick, so I had hired a local mason uh, a guy named jimmy phillips who was he was in his 70s at that point so he was old enough and this this was like 98 90, 98 97 98 when i hired him mm -hmm. and uh 70 something years old still laying brick and and just kind of an old southern gentleman you know who could remember when you know building with solid brick was was a thing you know before the advent of the concrete block really took off after world war ii so this pre-war style of masonry he was familiar with and uh and he i think he was kind of excited to do it you know because they just didn't do it anymore mm -hmm. and so i hired them to do it and i kind of picked up a trial and started working with them and um i realized pretty quickly that that you know, this was just a sculpting medium because I, I, I studied oil painting and, you know, sculpting in bronze and things of that nature, you know? Uh, so I, I really began to look at these brick as pixels, you know, and I felt like they were really under utilized. Like you could do so much with brick that just wasn't being done. 
you know, a lot of curvilinear stuff. It, it, it was just a very untapped medium as far, mm -hmm. as, far as I was concerned. So w was it you then who had the idea to kind of talk to him and say, let's do structural masonry and uh, as opposed to the sort of CMU and, and brick uh, approach? Or did he already, was he already doing that and wanted to uh, pursue that with you? Uh, no, I, I had come to him. So if I, if I back up a little bit, before I went the structural masonry route, I had done a timber building with a, a, a veneer skin on the timber. Okay. And it was modeled after some existing buildings in my hometown that uh, there was a monastery there and some monks had built these dairy barns years and years earlier. And I was uh, inspired by those buildings and this was the way that they had built those. But then I realized I really needed to eliminate the, 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 the horse's access to wood. Yeah. You know, and, and I thought, well, my goodness, why not just build it out of solid brick and just put this to rest, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I came to Jimmy Phillips, the old, uh, tenured Mason, you know, that I was, uh, relying on for, for guidance in this because he could still remember doing it. And, uh, and he was like, sure, yeah, we, we can do that. You know? So that's how we got started with it. And, uh, and he had had enough, uh, memory of doing it that way that he was able to kind of work through it. And, and then was he sort of like the initial teacher then for you of how to, how oh, to work this way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And and, 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 and I should say that there's not a lot to remember, you know, veneer, veneer brick is actually more difficult, more tedious to do than structural masonry. Structural masonry is very forgiving. You know, when I had a group of guild members come out and lay brick with us here in Carlton Landing, you remember that project a while back. Mm -hmm. And uh, w one of the things that Nathan said, his, his greatest takeaway from this was how often I referred to the, to the work being forgiving. Mm -hmm. And that's because there's just so much mass there, you know, and, uh, you know, you're dealing with a 12 inch wall and, uh, there's just so much material there. Uh, it's, it's, things don't have to be perfect and it can, it can it, like while, while veneer a lot of times can't afford not to be perfect, if you know yeah. what I mean, from a structural standpoint. So maybe, maybe I should take a step back. And for anybody who's not as familiar, if, if you wanted to describe, the difference between structural masonry and veneer uh, for a layperson, how, how would you describe that? So a, a veneer is what you, you, you normally see right now in, in terms of brick construction. When you see brick being laid today, 99.999% of the time, it's going to be a veneer. And that means there's a wooden frame that's a substrate to the veneer and the veneer is just a skin. You're skinning the building with brick and it is, and it is imitating a solid brick building. Solid brick buildings came first and they came up with a, a way to have the illusion of a solid brick building without having the substance. Right. And the reason the trades and, and the design world went more towards veneer uh, versus structural masonry is what in, in your opinion or your experience? Well, um, the reason that they went that direction, it happened in a time when our threshold for comfort was, was greater than it is now, you know? So it was, uh, much less expensive. I don't know. 
um, it was um, it was cheaper to build that way then, mm-hmm. but that was before we attacked on so many band aids to the to the frame construction. Um, you know, nowadays uh, everything is sort of based on that sixteen inch center four by eight sheet product, right? And and as our threshold for comfort became harder to satisfy, we're, we we kept uh, adding on to that building process all of these th- ways to improve it. And the way that I look at that, we were kind of painting ourselves into a corner, but all the infrastructure is in place for building this way, you know. And uh, so by the time you, for instance, uh, a, a conventional envelope wall has eight to 10 steps involved in it now. And when I build with a triple wide brick wall, it's one step and we walk away from that cubic foot of brick and don't come back to it. It's done. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it cost effective now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. So like what a lot of people probably don't understand is like the, maybe the wood frame houses somebody might think of that were built in the 1950s, which went up super quick and were easy. Uh, the wood frame houses we build today are not the same. Um, exactly. There's a lot more involved. You yeah. know, you've got, you've got the a much more elaborate insulation and, and house wraps and, you know, all of this stuff that you didn't have back then that it was very much, you know, less, it, it was a lot less expensive to build a veneer yeah. then than it is now. Yeah. And some of that is, um, just, uh, the way construction techniques evolve. Some of it is regulatory, um, uh, you know, meeting energy codes and, and other, uh, construction codes. Um, you know, like if you're in a seismic zone or something like that, there's just a lot of different requirements now than, uh, than there would have been in, in that era. So that's really interesting. So in a sense, then it's like, there was this, this idea that going to the brick veneer process solved a problem that got people brick buildings cheaper uh, but built around a wood frame. But over time, the construction world has evolved such that it's not a simple thing anymore. It's not necessarily cheap. Uh, and what you're looking at is uh, a real simplification of the process by just having the structural masonry. Exactly. I think that's exactly the case. Okay. All right. So then for basic terminology, then for others to talk about what, what is a triple wythe wall? Okay, so one brick is is one brick wide is 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 a wythe. So there's some sort of relationship between wide and wythe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the etym- etymological background is on that, but so for each wythe, that is a brick thick. So triple wythe would mean would mean three brick thick, mm-hmm. which is roughly uh, with the collar joints, this, which is a little space between each of those wythes. You think. A brick in four inch increments. Uh huh. So, but, but it, it even that depends. So, with an industry brick, you're looking at 11 and a half to 12 inches. If I'm using a salvaged brick, you know, right now we're building 13 inch walls because the modular brick, which is your just your standard brick, there's all kinds of brick shapes. The modular brick is just the standard brick shape mm-hmm. um, that we're most used to. Um, with, the, with the salvaged brick, they're a little bit bigger. 
industry brick a little bit smaller. So yeah. that affects the width of that wall. Okay. So what is there, uh, is there such a practice as a double wythe wall? Why, why three instead of two? Yeah, actually we're building a double wythe wall right now for a, um, like a carport utility room, you mm-hmm. know, and this room will provide some stability to, to the overall canopy of the carport. In addition to obvious space it provides, um, but people have lived in double wythe walls. The advantage to the triple wythe or even the quad wythe is the added thermal mass that, and, and the added structure. You know, mm-hmm. if you get above the Mason Dixon line, you, you know, in, in colder climbs, then you're going to want to switch to a quad wythe. Hmm. Will, what, but in upstate New York, you'll find triple wythe buildings. You'll find triple wythe buildings all over the place in, in Canada and uh, Montana, all over the place. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, we're even here in, in Kansas city, we've got obviously a ton of historic, uh, brick structures. Uh, I would imagine most of those are in the realm of like a, of a triple wife wall then, especially a lot of the, uh, older kind of warehouse industrial or office buildings that, that were mm-hmm. built in that era. Um, right. So, okay. So that, that's good. That's good background to kind of set the table. Uh, and you know, one of the things that I've seen is that, um, you know, the, the homes that you've had the opportunity to build, you know, obviously people look at them and they're gorgeous. I think there, there's something that we all react to with brick, uh, as, as a natural material. Uh, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about just the, the visual side of things we can get more. I want to talk about some of the construction details too, because I think that's fascinating to, to, get into with how we deal with modern construction these days, but just talk a little bit about the aesthetic reaction that, that you uh, and others have had when they experience your buildings. Well, they're definitely not indifferent to it. Right. Yeah. And so much of what's being built today, it's just, it, it, you know, I think it's better to be bad than it is to be apathetic (laughs) to, 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 you know what I mean? Like for, for a building to evoke nothing in someone feels worse to me than a, than a building that evokes a, a negative, at, at, at least that gives you some direction, yeah. you know, but, um, but I, I would say that, that there's just always, you know, that second glance, there's always that strong emotional reaction to what we're doing. And, that has uh, a lot to do with just how real it is that it's not pretending to be something that it's not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we live in a time where there's just such a vacuum for authenticity. Right. And, uh, we're, we're, we're providing that in a, in a very honest way. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I, I think it has a lot to do with how it's kind of cosmetically unaware and, 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 some respects. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, I mean, how often do you encounter, uh, visitors or buyers that just look at your houses and, and are blown away or just find themselves kind of staring at like this almost feels, it's such a funny thing because this would have been entirely natural, uh, a hundred, 150 years ago, but they look at it now, like it's almost dropped out of the sky as some sort of, uh, alien construction. Yeah. And and that does happen pretty frequently where, where someone will come in and they they just can't believe 
we're doing it. They can't believe their eyes, you know, yeah. that, that someone is building this way. Um, I've, I've passed the point of where I, where I try to sell what we do any longer, you know, either, you know, if I have to talk you into it, uh, I'm not sure you're going to understand it, but, and the, the people that, that, um, tend to get it are all in and that's yeah. our market, you know, and that's, and they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used to evangelize for it pretty strongly, but I, now I'm just, we just do the work and let the work do the talking and through the apprenticeship program and, and our internship programs, you know, teaching other people how to do it. That's the way we're really trying to, you know, make a difference with this way of building. Yeah. So when, when you go back and think about that first stables uh, that you built uh, out of brick, I'm curious, like, first of all, have you, have you visited and seeing how it's holding up and, and also what, what do you do differently? What are you doing differently from a construction standpoint than, than that first, uh, effort in brick construction? Oh, quite a few things. It's been a, a, a journey in determining best practices. You know, at first the, the obvious challenge is how do we create this this masonry envelope in a time effective cost effective way um that can be scaled and and that is a big part of it but the thing that is maybe equally as challenging is how do we integrate convention to that masonry substrate once it's established because mm -hmm. you want to get back to convention as soon as you can because you're trying to create a, a, a building with multi-century life cycle that's also affordable right mm -hmm. and the convention has already sorted out the economy of all this. So whenever I can walk into a Lowe's or a Home Depot um, and I'm hot wiring that 16 inch on center interface, right? They've already sorted out the cost there. That's the way that we're able to make it affordable is because, because think of it like this, Kevin, you're just taking a production home building and inserting into that model, a, a, a structural masonry envelope. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a super simplified, maybe a little reductive way to look at what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and obviously still having uh, more conventional, like a roof structure with, you know, with wood and uh, yeah, whatever that's all you might stick, use. That, yeah. That's all stick framed. Yep. You know, you'll, you'll see on some of the really high end stuff that will do some timber framing and things of that nature, but that's, that, that's, not a way to be very, you can't scale that very well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think one of the questions that probably a lot of people would have is, you know, if you've been, uh, in an older, like a 19th century, uh, brick building, uh, or even earlier that, uh, they love the beauty of it, but they feel like, Oh God, those buildings are so drafty. They're cold. They're uncomfortable. How do you, how does the comfort situation, how is that similar or different with the newly constructed houses that you're doing? So that's um, accurate. They are, they are that, but we, but again, we're, 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 I don't know of any, any other building model that is, that is operating under the format of, you know, taking the best of the old and the best of the new and, and, and fusing those together. You know, mm -hmm. normally that pendulum swing, uh, you, you know, if someone is going to be period, 
and building the way that we're building with brick, you know, they're going to be out there in a kilt and <laughs> using, no, not using power tools. And, you know, you just go too far with it. So, so we're not purist and that's a big, that's an important point. You know, we're only pure in the, in the sense that we want to create a vernacular that has the extremely long lasting life cycle, multi-century life cycle. And we're not speculating about that. We, we know with what's standing today along the historic timeline that, that these buildings will last a very long time. We know that. Um, and I think it's our responsibility to build in such a way that, that things don't have to be rebuilt so soon. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So let's talk more about that because I think, you know, as, as I've heard you talk many times and, and write uh, over the years that that long-term, you know, the thousand year house idea that you throw out there and that, that long-term uh, approach is really key. I mean, it's central to kind of how you think about these, uh, these buildings. It's not just doing something because it's uh, you're trying to revive uh, an old tradition, but there's a deeper approach about uh, building things that are long lasting uh, and, uh, you know, can address other other issues we wrestle with uh, in modern society. Yeah, well, I've got something to say, but let me preface it with: we're not doing anything to look old. Yeah, you know, and I I think most people are. I think a lot of people don't understand why they like the buildings that they like that are that are traditional and older. They think that they like it because it's old. What they, what they really are drawn to that is that it was built in such a way that it could one day be old. Mm. And those are very different things, mm -hmm. you know, but if you don't understand why you feel that way, then, then that'll lead you to believe, well, I can just make it look old and that will satisfy this. I can replicate this feeling that I've gotten from this old building by just making a new building look old. They don't understand, well, why it's not the same, you know, but but basically, uh, the, the motivator for us is, uh, you know, sometimes between uh, our grandchildren and their grandchildren, almost everything is going to have to be rebuilt. And when that time comes, the world's going to be a much more complicated place with many more people uh, and a lot fewer resources. Uh, so I think that there is a, a moral obligation, you know, to build better. And um, not treat building as a money-making emergency in one of the most uh, affluent nations the planet's ever seen. You know, mm -hmm. why are we, why are we so? Um, uh, I mean, it, it, there's just a sense of alarm to make money, um, and I'm not going to triage the way I build things. For an emergency that I that I think is isn't real, mm -hmm. um, it just we're the, the market prescribes what we should do, and we do what the market tells us to do. And I'm just uh, not convinced. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it, it's interesting. I, I mean, I like the way you preface that by um, thinking about things that uh, you might might hope would look old, uh, at a future date. Uh, and, uh, obviously, you know, if you build these and build them well, uh, the way you're doing them, uh, that really would be something that our, you know, 
four or five generations down the line people could enjoy. Uh, and I, I think that's a fascinating thing to, to think about that there's so much, like I said, so much of, uh, architecture and building that, um, we're almost surprised if it exists 40 years from now. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, people, they, they just don't understand that that's why it's so important for us to know why we feel the way that we do about things and, and to do deep dives on that and to really grapple with where our feelings come from, because, you know, sure people, there is an element of being drawn to something that, that is, you know, has a, has a long history, but that's because, uh, there's a residue, an actual residue that can't be counterfeited, you know, of lives that have touched that thing, whether it's a tool or a house or furniture or whatever, you know, there, there's a very real, it, it has its own history, you know, we're drawn to that. But foremost, I, 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 and I've said it, I'll, I'll, I just think that this is the, the, the takeaway is people don't like things because they're old. They're, they, they are drawn to them because they were made in such a way that they could one day be old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much, how much of an impact do you think it is that you, you look at something like a, a brick building uh, how much of the emotional response is you look at that and you say, you know what, I know human hands put that together. Uh, and obviously, you know, a, a stick frame house is built by, you know, humans just as, just as well. And, uh, but it doesn't evoke the same response, you know, when you look at, uh, maybe a, a typical, uh, sort of modern, um, uh, suburban house or any other house, newly built house, it, it feels little bit more like an industrial product. Whereas you look at like a brick building and you say, yeah, I I can, uh, I can understand that humans actually helped build that. I can see where that could have happened. Yeah. Um, a a brick is unique in that regard. And that, you know, if you, if you take a human hand and create a cuboidal shape over the hand, that's the geometry of a, of a brick, you know, so the brick is made for a hand before it's made for a wall, right? Mm-hmm. It's made so that the hand can lift it and turn it into a wall. So for every brick that you see, you see the work of a of hands. You know, they represent a hand. Um, and, and this is where I think we really lack some language, Kevin. You know, um, we're, we're, we're getting into some territory where, you know, you want to say, we want to talk about a live architecture mm-hmm. and talk about a building that, that the spirit of a building or the, the, the soulfulness of a building that, and it just all feels so inadequate to what, to the, to the reality that you and I know is there, you know? So we're kind of fumbling around with the language, trying to communicate what it, it what we feel like very much needs to be communicated. And, uh, um, and I'm constantly working on that, trying to evolve, how to put it into words, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, did you see the recent, uh, thing that Paul Crabtree, uh, put on yeah. the guild with the, the 3d printing, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's a, it's think, always, there's always, it always seems like there's a new, uh, technological fix, uh, in the, or at least, a uh, a concept that somebody's putting out there that's going to revolutionize, uh, masonry construction or house construction in some fashion. 
it's it's fascinating it's it's very interesting it's i'll be curious to see where it goes you know i i'm not going to split hairs too much over whether hands did it although i think it's very important if it will still last a very long time you know and and it's if it's if it has multi-century life cycle and it's cost effective then i think that's a move in the right direction uh when we're in in this world of disposable building and, and just throw away obsolete obsolete everything you know right built right. in obsolescence uh but uh yeah i i i don't know i, I don't know what the future of that is yeah do you how much of that that speaks to you is really about that that notion of uh uh not wasting things and it kind of feels like there's there's a part of that you're, you're kind of either a person who cares about uh, not wasting things and having uh, everything be well used uh, or you're somebody who's like yeah whatever you know so we're building something today we tear it down you know 30 years from now who cares what's the difference um, yeah yeah p- people can joke well I'll, I'll be gone I'll be long gone by then and yeah. that's a really common way to look at uh the the disposable nature of the way that we're doing things you know and i'm I'm always surprised that 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 that's um you know that that's considered humorous or you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or that we're comfortable just saying that we don't care about the world we leave future people yeah (laughs) that just because they don't have a vote yet and because they don't exist yet we can get away with saying yeah. and doing so much to them you know yeah because that's mean, what we're i mean we're doing things to people that don't exist yet we're making you know we're, we're making choices that they're going to have to live with yeah yeah i mean it, it, I mean, a lot of people have written about the the notion of like how disposable our architecture and our cities has become you know with kind of mass industrialization and i think about that sometimes because i've got little kids and, you know, if you've got little kids today, it's like you're buried in a constant, you know, ocean of just crap, <laughs> you know, right, pla- right. plastic this, plastic that. And, and it's just a never ending array of uh, cheap toys and everything else, um, because that's just, you know, that's the nature of the, the time we're in now. Uh, that's that's even pretty different than, say, 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, it it sort of drives me uh, personally a little crazy that it's like, I'm constantly picking things up and just throwing them away. Sure. Uh, and uh, it's it, the easiest thing to do, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, there's, it's almost programmatically not set up to do otherwise. Right. Right. You know? And we certainly have a similar attitude. It's not, not that we never had, you know, build things and tear them down. Historically, we did a lot of that, but um, there was a notion that once you, uh, once you hit a certain point in a development cycle, you were building a building to really last a very long period of time. And, and it was a, a source of pride that this would be a building that would be around for a couple hundred years or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell it, me about um, at some, at some point you started building houses uh, for people. What was, what was the first house you actually built for somebody? So that was in Rome, Georgia. It was the Pierce Lee house. And um, yeah, these folks had, they'd called me a few years earlier to build a barn and they'd been looking for someone 
but I told them I wasn't able to. I was pretty tied up with other work. So they found someone to do that, but then they were, they'd been looking for a builder to build their house for a couple of years and hadn't been able to find a builder that felt right. And they just kind of reached out to me on a whim. And uh, I, I said, well, I've never built a house before, um, but you can come out and look at the work that we're doing now. And they came out to look at a, a stable that I was working on. It was a six hour drive for them. So they were, hmm. were pretty serious and they invested in it. And they came out to see the building and they got out of the car and, and, and cried. So you were asking earlier about hmm. what kind of, you know, emotions that get evoked because um, they just felt like right away when they saw that building that they'd found their builder, you know, and, um, and that, you know, that, that's a nice moment. Uh, it's, it's good to have that kind of effect, you know, to put so much effort into, you know, into your work. And it really is a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And then for it to pay off, those yeah. are, those are the moments where you realize you've hit the mark, you know? Yeah. How did you, but, ulti- oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. But, you know, uh, so once I had built that, uh, first house that sort of launched me into the house building business, you know, and I, so I was building really high end structural masonry and timber frame structures for one, the one percenter market, you know, mm-hmm. for a number of years. And then I got married and had children and, uh, started experiencing just what you were <laughs> describing. And you, you do, you wake up one day and you, and you say, well, what am I doing to make their, their world better because the situation seems dire, you know, and, um, I'm a builder. So I'll, the only solution I can, I can provide ha- will have to have something to do with building. Right. And, uh, this about the same time I had been bringing home uh, leftover brick from various job sites and, and just kind of hoarding, uh, a number of brick and I decided to build this little garden, uh, shed studio chapel, mm-hmm. you know, in my backyard. And I built this very, didn't even have any plans. I just started building. And, um, when I was done with it, I stepped, stepped away from that little building. I looked at it and I thought, well, how many of my friends wouldn't want to live in a house built just like this? And it was, keep in mind, this was very distilled compared to what I was normally very simple design, you know, and, uh, and that was when the light bulb really went off. If I can figure out a way to build this way that, that, that I can afford, mm-hmm. you know, because at that point I was building stuff that I could never afford, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, that, that, that was when the, the inspiration really hit. And within less than a year, we were, you know, laying the first brick on our field test in Columbus, Georgia, which led to this wonderful three week long thermal mass study with Clemson university. And, um, and, um, you know, eventually led to us moving out to Carlton landing. Yeah. So how did you ultimately get hooked up with the crazy people in the new, new urbanist world and the urban guild, uh, that we all know? You can blame Scott Doyen for that. I'll be and, happy uh, <laughs> and, and Steve, uh, Steve Muzan and, uh, Nathan Norse, Andreas. Um, but you know, S- Scott and I, we, we both lived in the city of Decatur. Okay. Just outside of Atlanta. Yeah. We, we're going to the same church 
And, uh, you know, I would see Scott around town in a coffee shop or something in the mornings and he had his newspaper ritual and, uh, he and I, uh, we, we just struck up a conversation one day and, uh, uh, you know, he was interested in what I was doing and we became friends and, um, and then very slowly, uh, Scott start, started, you know, pushing little little bits of information about New Urbanist towards me, and I and I was fairly skeptical at first, you know. But uh, he kept uh, he was fairly persistent with it, and there, and there was almost some coaching going on a little mm-hmm. bit with him, you know, it, coaching slash encouraging, and basically what Scott said was, you know, you're on this path alone. And there's this entire organization that's on practically the same path. You're, you're, you're running parallel with them. And if I could just nudge you over mm-hmm. to where your paths would converge, you would have all of this support. And, um, and yeah, and, and that, that was exactly what happened. And then one, you know, one thing led to another and I met Steve and, uh, you know, Steve was just, incredibly encouraging. He said, you know, he told me if you do this, this is the first permanent building model in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was really excited about what I was doing and, um, yeah. And then, so then you ended up, uh, in Oklahoma, Carlton landing on uh, Lake Eufaula. How did, how did that come to be? Well, the developer Grant Humphreys, uh, you, you know, I, I was starting to share a lot of what I was doing on social media and, and doing some blogging and just really trying to talk about what I was doing and get feedback about it. And cause again, you know, this is, we're in a, we're in a lab, you know, we're, this is building science for us. We're trying to figure out the best way to do something that hasn't been done before. And, um, and we started to generate, you know, so, some, a stir, and the, and the, in the new urbanist circles, you know, and Grant Humphreys, uh, came across us and invited, uh, invited me out to Carlton Landing to come take a look. And, and, uh, one thing led to another and, and here we are, we've been here for nine years next mm. month. Wow. It's hard to believe nine years already. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. And, and how many homes have you built at Carlson Landing? Well, we were still building only one a year at that time. So during our discovery process, which was about five years, we built one house a year. Then in 2017, we began to scale and we were building, um, like three, we, we were doing like three houses a year at that point. Hmm. And now it's in with some of apprentices who are now journeymen and out on their, on their own. Uh, it's, it's, we still haven't maximized our scaling capacity, but we're getting there. Yeah. So in those initial years when you were building one house a year, like how many people are, uh, how big is your company? How many people are working with you? Well, there would be a, a couple of apprentices and, you know, then the, the subcontractors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now? It varies. You know, uh, we just finished a class of, of four young apprentices. And right now we have one and we're looking at several. Okay. All right. So I know that's been a big part also of what you've been doing is really been trying to train people and 
and build up this apprenticeship program. Why don't you talk a little bit about how that works and if somebody happens to be listening that's interested, you know, what, what all's involved with being an apprentice to learn how to, how to do this kind of work? Sure. Yeah. They just have to reach out and, you know, we go through an application process and it's, um, it's, it's not as structured as it sounds. It's, it's, it's really just deep immersion, which means you just get in there and start working and we tell you, tell you how to do it and show you how to do it. And you do it a lot until you know it Mm -hmm. uh, very well. And, uh, and that's, that's the process of teaching. How long do you, how do you, how long does it take before somebody feels like they know it or you feel like they know it really well? It really depends on the, the apprentice. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the person that's coming to us. Some people come to us are already very skilled, say in carpentry, and obviously they're just used to using their hands and we'll get there quicker. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I'll give you an example. Like what one year we had a contingent of 10 Notre Dame architecture students come out and they built one of our borough cottages from first brick to last in 14 days. And that was five guys and five girls. I made it a point to never lay a brick myself. I, I wanted this to be done strictly by the, uh, the interns and the apprentices. And um, I, I think that that's just such, so incredibly telling. Yeah. That's, that's a real success story there because the, you know, 10 students that had never laid a brick and they're building a whole, a whole house in uh, 14 days. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so then a, how, we, we call it artist cottages. It's a little 800 square foot cottage there, right. but they're super cool little, little houses. Yeah. And these are the ones that are arranged around a little courtyard, uh, at Carlson mm-hmm. Landing. Yeah. It's probably, mm-hmm. uh, if you've seen it, it's like the most postcard worthy, uh, uh, shot of just about any place you've seen with new construction. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called the borough pocket neighborhood and it, uh, year, year before last, you got a charter award. Yeah. Yeah. So how many of your apprentices then have gone on to kind of start doing their own thing? There are five that are fairly prolific right now. Yeah. So you've got, I think we have a couple in Pennsylvania. We have one in Oklahoma city, one, um, one in South Carolina, Austin, Austin Tunnel with building culture. He's probably our most prolific kind of a flagship apprentice. And Austin, Austin's in uh, Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so all of these former apprentices then are off kind of building either one or several houses a year uh, with this right. method. Yeah. Right. That's pretty fantastic. I mean, it's gotta be a good feeling. It, it is. And, and they're, and they're teaching people how to do it as well. So, you know, I have these grandchildren. I love, love. <laughs> <laughs> So when you, you know, obviously one of the, one of the most common questions that you get is like, you know, Clay, these houses are gorgeous, you know, we love them, but this can't possibly scale, you know, in the world of modern construction and, you know, in a fast growing world where we've got to build, you know, X number of houses a year to, to house people and apartments and everything else. And so what, what do you say to the the whole notion of scaling when, when you think about this type of construction? Well, the only reason that the, 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 the conventional construction we have now scales is because there's such an infrastructure to build that way, right? Yeah. There's a lot of support for building that way. And we're doing it without any of that infrastructure. We're doing it without any of, any of that support. So, um, uh, you know, 
the more people we have building this way, the more buildings that we are creating building this way, uh, the more familiar we make people uh, become with just still being done. Mm -hmm. uh, we just in increase the awareness that that it's possible, and and uh, and we also uh, are, are creating an appetite for it. Right. Right. So I think that it just, it just takes time and, um, and it can happen. You know, it, it, it can definitely scale. It's just, it just requires more people and we're working on that. So I know from working, you know, in the development world that, you know, we're kind of all trained to, to think about things as like price per square foot. You know, I'm going to, do this construction uh, approach or this design approach and it's going to cost, you know, $10 a square foot. This one's going to cost 40 a square foot, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And, uh, how do you, how do you address that, that conversation when you talk about this, this type of construction versus, you know, the typical stick frame construction? Well, I, I, I try to embrace it. You know, that you can't have sustainability without profitability. There's no getting around that. But at the same time, uh, you know, we, we can still reserve portions of our, of our soul to, you know, appreciate and, um, and promote other avenues and mm -hmm. that are, that can be complimentary, you know, um, it's, it's uh, this, the square foot uh, price point, uh, you know, you know, here in Carlton Landing, one of the things that we've been able to achieve is that the, the appraisers are acknowledging what we're doing, the value of what we're doing, which is a big step to have. Mm -hmm. That's never happened before. Hmm. In the past, it's only been a square foot value, you know, and the square foot value of this house is going to be the same as the square foot value of that house. But here they are seeing that as a significant upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. So at least on the sales side, you're seeing that there's some additional value that, um, because of the uniqueness and the, and the beauty uh, of the buildings. Yeah. And, and the lack of maintenance. Yeah. Which yeah. is a big, a big deal here because a lot of these are second homes for people and they're not here and they rent them out and, uh, they're not here to maintain them. So, you know, they, they need to be able to withstand visitors who might not yeah. take that good care of the property and they have to withstand the elements which are very much up and down here right so on the just like the boring but interesting to me uh, logistics side talk a little bit about uh how you handle things like uh, uh hvac and uh, electrical um uh, components uh with a with a structural masonry building well we we don't put anything in the wall. So all, all, you know, as far as like switch legs and things of that nature, we just have exposed conduit on the walls and try to mi minimize it, you know, but, mm -hmm. uh, or do it in a tasteful way or, um, but we kind of refer to that as a residential um, type vibe uh -huh. building. Uh, in terms of the other mechanicals, you know, a lot of times we will use open, open web trusses for the floor system. Mm -hmm. And that, so the entire floors are, are chases for mechanicals. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect anything. 
Interesting. Um, if, if you get down uh, anytime soon, uh, you can see some of these mechanicals in this in, yeah. in the house we're building now. So, yeah. Uh, I I uh, I keep telling you I plan to and I do plan to, but uh, it'll be one of these days. Got to work it around family schedules, which I'm sure, sure. I'm sure you yeah. can uh, appreciate. Bring them all down for a weekend. It's a good place to hang out. Yeah, I uh, I'm sure it is, and uh, and I'm definitely eager to try to see how quickly I'm able to learn uh, uh, as uh, as an older guy now, trying to put some you know to lay some brick and see if it's something I can pick up in a in a day or so. You'll, you'll be surprised. <laughs> so, I mean, what is the, I mean, you must have an interesting just reaction to all these, because this, I mean, this is really the ultimate like low tech, you know, um, method uh, to construction, something that our ancestors have done for literally for thousands of years. What, you know, what do you, what do you think about, yeah. what do you think about when you see like the, the latest and greatest like Silicon Valley uh, approach to uh, solving the construction dilemma? Uh, I just think that when we're operating from a value system that, that, that calls success, getting as much as you can while contributing the least amount possible, I, I, I just think that's a path to nowhere. I don't think that we can hope for anything good coming from that. And um, it's the difference between earning and gaming. Do, do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I don't think it's possible to earn a billion dollars. <laughs> it's just not, you know, earning, earning implies a, an exchange. You know, I've, I've got something value, valuable. You've got something valuable. We'll trade these things. And now we'll both have both of these things. But, uh, but you know, when you're kind of gambling, you, you, you know, a lot of people make their living almost in a, in a, in a, in a gambling mentality, you know, where you're just kind of rolling the dice and hoping for the best and, and you can game a situation. You can find all the ways to complicate the rules and, and, uh, come out on top. And yeah. that's just not the way that I, uh, I've chosen to live. Yeah. And w- you know, this is, I don't, I don't want to say this is off topic, but it's not really off topic, but it just kind of interests me. But, you know, we have this, uh, we have a world now where we're talking we talk an awful lot about how there's a lot of young men, especially who struggle to find something to do that's meaningful uh, for them. And here you have this world that you're kind of uh, training uh, folks and building, building something that is beautiful, but also done in in a way that actually requires a lot of labor uh, and, it, it's fascinating to me that we're always like thinking about like the next high tech solution to that. When we have this void of uh, we do we do need buildings built to house people, and we have a whole bunch of people who seem to need something to do uh, that adds value and meaning to their life. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get too spiritual about this with you, but I wonder how you might think about that. Yeah, you know, right now you can drive out and to a town somewhere in the middle of the day and there's just all this traffic everywhere. And you, I just find myself, why aren't these people working? What, what are they doing? <laughs> it's the middle of the week, middle of the day. And the, why, why is there even traffic? Of course I'm out there. I'm on the way to the, the lumberyard or something. Um, but yeah, Kevin, we, I mean, we are designed to push against something, you know, 
that it, it, it grounds us. You know, it, it, that coordinate of pushing against something, we are made to do that. And we're made to deal with a resistance, you know? Yeah. And when you remove that, I think it, you know, you're kind of losing your anchor, you know? Uh, and, and you can kind of see it throughout the world right now. Uh, because that, um, we've just evolved that way. You know, we've evolved to, to deal with struggle and take all struggle out of our lives. And and we don't know how to cope with that. Right. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, One of the, one of the things that concern me most uh, in, in terms of all the conflict in our country right now is how little people seem to realize the value of safety you know, that you can go out to eat with your family and, and not have a, you know, moments thought about whether or not you're safe, not worry about whether or not your car is going to be broken into mm-hmm. all of that. All of that was purchased with a very uh, heavy price. You know, people died for us to be able to experience this degree of safety. Yeah. And, um, and we've taken it so much for granted that we don't, we, we just don't appreciate it's value anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I got off, I got off on the, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Lack I've, of segue there. I took you out a different direction anyway. So <laughs> yeah. the way it goes, but yeah, trying to bring it back, loop it back in. Yeah. I, I think young people are looking for, for purpose and meaning and that if you don't have that resistance in your life, if you don't have that thing that you push against, you don't, you know that you're not doing anything. You know that you're not um, satisfying a need and that's inherent and intrinsic to, to your, your absolute being that goes way into your genes gener- yeah. what, gen- many generations back and it, it's arrived at you and you're not doing anything with it. And I think people feel that. Yeah. And, you know, like you've got one of your apprentices now I'm, i don't i don't even know if he's still an apprentice or not but that is basically like former military and it, yeah yeah rob fox who is working yeah. with us right now he's an incredible man he's uh and he, he was a a marine did a couple of tours in afghanistan and um ran ran logistics and so he's bringing that's a good pairing because you know I, i'm i'm leaning more towards the artist side of creating and uh, when, mm-hmm. when you need to scale that in a practical predictable way right you, uh, you need someone who really understands logistics and he's doing a lot in that regard yeah and i just i guess i can't help but wonder like somebody especially like that who you know if you're joining the marines you probably have a very high sense of mission and service and purpose that you're pursuing and uh doing this kind of work also it's very different, but it, it can give you that sense of uh, mission and, and purpose in your day-to-day life. Absolutely. We've done about an hour, so we should probably uh, go ahead and start to wrap it. Clay, I do want to ask one final question that I ask all my guests. Uh, I call this the the Messy City podcast, which <laughs> is kind of uh, an ode to places that are uh, not so... Um, pure and pristine and perfect in everything that they do and, uh, you know, neighborhoods or cities itself. I wonder if, if I use that terminology, what comes to mind for you? What's a place that, uh, that you think about? 
Well, I, I, you know, we were talking earlier about a lack of language. A good example of that is the Japanese have a word called wabi-sabi, uh, and it, it refers to the right amount of imperfection. Yeah. Right. And um, there's a problem with counterfeit. Counterfeit can't afford to be imperfect. It can't draw a closer look, right? It wants you to look at it and keep going. And that's what you see right now when you look at sprawl. You see uh, this manufactured kind of pristineness that is so entirely void of meaning and, and life. Uh, so it, it, it's lacking that right amount of messy, mm -hmm. right? And when, when you're, um, you know, just, just so unapologetically, when you allow the, the material to just be so unapologetically what it is, you, and, and uh, I, think, I think you satisfy that need for that organic imperfection. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, that's, uh, I, I really like that. So, uh, Clay, I know you're, uh, I follow you on social media as do many of our friends. What, what's the best way for people to find you and, uh, get in touch with you, follow you, et cetera. So on Instagram and Twitter, uh, I'm thousand year house and that's the number 1000 year house, lowercase, no spaces. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're going to be working on some other websites and stuff like that, but, uh, that's the primary way to reach me right now. Okay. Terrific. All right, Clay. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Take care. I'll get there. I'll get down there to see you sooner than you think. Okay. <laughs> I'm holding you to it. All right. See ya.